0: And I think that what people really want more than the new car or the relationship or whatever type of emotion or feeling they're looking for, what they're really looking for is a sense of wholeness.
1: Welcome to the Reach New Heights podcast, where we dive deep into all things self-healing, transformation, and building dreams. I'm Julie Householder, and it is my passion to share powerful tools to empower you to transform your life and reach new heights. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Reach New Heights podcast. Today, our honored guest is David Young. David is the co-founder of Wholehearted. As a coach and speaker, he supports communities to heal from collective trauma, reestablish healthy communication, and love fearlessly. With a background in East Asian philosophy, international diplomacy, and community development, David's dream is to create a culture of wholeheartedness for future generations. He's a co-facilitator of Radical Wholeness and loves traveling, hanging out in tea shops and camping with his kids. Thank you so much, David, for gifting your time and energy today on the Reach New Heights podcast. I'd love to hear a little bit about you, what it means to live wholeheartedly and what got you started into this work.
0: Wow, thank you. And thanks for having me on Uh, I guess a little bit about me is uh, I work as a speaker and a teacher, really. And the things I most commonly teach on are about wholeheartedness and emotional intelligence, which is kind of grounded in mindfulness and meditation. Gosh, um, living wholeheartedly to me is well, really living about in wholeness. And I think that what people really want more than the new car or the relationship or whatever type of emotion or feeling they're looking for, what they're really looking for is a sense of wholeness. Um, at least in my experience is what I would say. And what I mean by a sense of wholeness is that uh, oftentimes we are separate from ourselves or separate from our experiences of life. And so because we're separate from those experiences, we can't feel that I'm really whole or I'm really with me. So there's an experience of sadness or an experience of doubt uh, or an experience of uh, questioning, an experience of anger or um, fear. Oftentimes, we aren't taught that these emotions or these experiences are okay. It's kind of like some experiences are okay to have, other experiences are not okay to have. Some emotions are okay to feel, other emotions are not okay to feel. And however, the difficulty with that is that our nervous system doesn't work that way. Our nervous system kind of feels what it feels. And uh, when we're unable or we're overwhelmed by a traumatic event, our nervous system causes us to become separate from ourselves. And this is an intelligent process because it kind of protects us. But oftentimes we get stuck in this cycle of just pushing aside how we really feel, pushing aside what our experiences are. And so we almost don't know ourselves. It's kind of like if we've stopped talking to a friend, uh, we don't hang around this friend anymore. The friend has different complaints, has different experiences, joyful memories and wants to share them with us, but we're kind of closed off from it. We just become more and more withdrawn from that friend and eventually the relationship becomes dysfunctional and uh that's kind of how many people relate to themselves this space of like separation from ourselves with increasing dysfunction until the dysfunction calls us to to wake up and begin to kind of come home to ourselves and so uh, whole heart isn't about like getting a hall pass to just uh say that all your feelings are totally okay or you just act on whatever you feel or do whatever feels good. It's kind of not a a hall pass to uh, be irresponsible, but rather it's it's an invitation to uh, be present to your entire experience of life and let that presence give you a sense of wisdom with how you act, uh, how you decide things, and how you behave in your relationships. It's kind of a long explanation, but um, yeah, I think that's what wholehearted living is like for me and what it means to me.
1: That's beautiful. I think for many of us in society, a lot of people will resonate and I can definitely think on times in my life where I felt broken and that there was you were mentioning that, you know, some emotions aren't okay to feel or some are negative or some are positive, depending on what we were taught growing up. But for many years in my life, I definitely felt broken, like I felt like shattered from myself and that showed up in every single domain of my life. And for people that are just tuning mm-hmm. in and just beginning listening to what it means to be wholehearted, what would you recommend for them those first steps to start tuning in and to recognize that separation because sometimes the separation is so deep we don't even realize that we are separated from self.
0: Yeah, many times we don't we kind of lack the sensitivity to even notice that there is something there. So we would kind of say that we're numb. And I think um one of the beginning insights I think to start out the journey with is to get that numbness is not nothing, you know, numbness is something it's, it's an active process that requires energy. And so when we're numb to a certain part of our experience or numb to how we feel about a relationship or numb to how, numb to how we feel about our career, we just say, I don't know how I feel. That's actually an experience on the body. Numbness is something and it requires energy kind of like a, you know, a refrigerator or a freezer is if you ask what's your freezer doing your freezer is not doing nothing it's freezing food and that requires electricity and so um, the act of numbing ourselves requires energy and so some of the first steps is first to just acknowledge that that's that's the case that numbness isn't nothing oftentimes they're running to people where it's like well, i don't i don't feel anything I don't, I don't i don't feel separate from myself i'm fine things are going well I guess things are all right by my evaluation of things. I'm, I got lots to be grateful for. Nothing's going on. I feel fine. I don't feel super happy. I don't feel super sad. I'm, I'm fine. It's kind of a normal re- response that um, I've gotten in the past. And so what we'll do is uh, acknowledge that notice that um, if I can't feel a negative emotion, then oftentimes I won't be able to feel certain positive ones. And so usually the first step is just to begin to breathe. Um, And that can just be for five minutes, just to be quiet with ourselves and to be alone with ourselves to kind of test and see, well, what's really, how do I actually feel? How, how am I really? And uh, usually in just a couple of minutes, two or three minutes of sitting silently with yourself, people will start to notice either an agitation or maybe a sadness or kind of a a blankness but then sitting with it things start to gradually show up and so i said the first step is to know that there is something there and that we're kind of numbed to it and then the next step is to be kind to yourself in a silent place and a place of solitude where you can really be with yourself it just can look like sitting and breathing it's it's kind of funny but i mean Gosh, I think there's a quote that says, all of human human humanity's problems would be solved if we were able to sit in a room by ourselves in silence. And so it's not about just being alone. Cause I think, I mean, I don't know, personally, I like I like being alone. Some people might say I love being alone, but usually we're not just alone. We're on a screen or we're immersed in a book um, or we're doing something else that's still a level of distraction from being with my sense of myself. How do I actually feel about myself and not just what do I think about myself? But how do I actually feel about myself? What do I sense about myself? And then having the patience to sit and wait to see how I do, how, how do I feel? And uh, gosh, I like that. I have a nine year old son. So a lot of times when I think of this first step, it's kind of like sitting with him uh, like, So what do you think about this? Or how do you feel about this? And usually there's nothing like, I don't know, I feel fine. And we'll be outside and walking. And then maybe 10 minutes later, he'd be like, Yeah, I don't feel so good about that. I don't want to do that. And without that 10 minutes of time and space, that answer might not have had the time and the space to actually surface and formulate into something that he could articulate. And it's the same with ourselves. Um, sometimes we kinda, We <laughs> need some time to, to feel ourselves. And I think oftentimes we don't give ourselves that space. So I think the first step is to give yourself that space. Five minutes to breathe, uh, go for a walk, uh, but something where you're really just being with yourself.
1: I love that. I think many of us are so inundated with external stimulus all the time. And that for me is one practice where I notice if I'm going on a screen, I'm like, wait, why am I going on this screen right now? What am I craving? Is there something that I'm seeking to distract myself from or to avoid if I'm you know, noticing an emotion? And especially with numbness, I love how you brought that up. And one thing that I'm always telling myself, because one of my trauma responses, if I feel numbness in my body, my body like kind of panics a little bit linked Mm -hmm. to like some of the stuff that I've gone through. And then I'm always like telling myself like, no, numbness is a feeling like feeling numb is a feeling. It's an experience. Mm -hmm. And I find that the more that I am able to sit with it, I can recognize that the numbness is kind of like this anchor and it's holding onto a huge disassociation balloon of a given emotion. Mm -hmm. And when I actually am able to give myself and cultivate that space, And I think a big thing is like making sure that you also cultivate a space that feels safe and secure to your nervous system. And for Mm. some of us, like I love how you mentioned going for a walk, movement is a really great way. But for whoever's listening, just to start practicing, like noticing where you feel safe, where you feel secure. And if we're super heightened in our nervous system in any kind of way, it's gonna make the process that much more difficult and to find some place that is peaceful um, to you and to your body. I also had a question for you because I was going through your work and you talk a lot about toxic achievement and I was Mm -hmm. really curious about how is that related to living wholehearted and how is that related to all of these threads of separation that we experience in that process as we begin to tune in?
0: Mm, Yeah. So, uh, In wholeheartedness, love is not just some kind of airy-fairy concept. Love is like the air that we breathe. It literally is the fuel for our lives. And uh, another way to think of that is safety. Like it's unconditional safety for ourselves. We're really able to be with ourselves. Um, Without that safety and without that non-conditioned love for ourselves, and that's a whole conversation in itself to find those experiences and those environments and consistently create them for ourselves, um, Most people don't live inside those environments consistently. And so they we live without that kind of love, which really is the, both the context and the core of living a wholehearted life. And so when I don't have those, I don't have love as a substitute. I I don't have love. I have to go to its substitute. So I go to a conditioned substitute and toxic achievement is really all about a conditioned substitute for love and safety. And um, I would say the, Replacements would be approval and control, you know, approval and control where we go to, or a false sense of security. And so, um, my life becomes about approval and control and external, external based security, you know, security from outside of me. And it comes and it's all about avoiding losing those things. So losing control, uh, losing approval and losing these external sources of security And I begin to, it kind of like sets itself up on a a line. You can imagine on the far end, on the left, you see like running away from lack of approval, lack of security, lack of control. And on the far right end, running towards uh, security, this external security, this external control, and this external sense of approval. And we just are caught in this running from and running to. And that running is toxic to ourselves and um it's also totally normal and i want to say like it's you know if it's toxic then it's bad and it's wrong that doesn't mean it's bad and it's wrong it's just um, dysfunctional over the long term it's unhealthy it's kind of like it's not as clean of a fuel and so we're, we're caught in this running from and running to and usually we just try to make whatever form that we're running towards and running away from as presentable and altruistic as possible. So for me, toxic achievement looks like being the kindest, uh, most compassionate, most effective, most optimized, most loving, and most caring human being I can be, which is like great, (laughs) it's a great goal, right? And that's what I'm running towards. And so I I say when I am caring and compassionate and forgiving and kind, then I, I have approval from myself and from others. And that approval is kind of what I take in exchange or in a substitute for genuine unconditioned love for myself and genuine internal safety. And, uh, you know, and my goals could also be more superficial. Like I want, to, I want the house, I want the cars, I want the relationship, I want these kind of things. Whatever it is, that's what I tell myself is if I get these things, I approve of myself. That's how I get my approval. It's like a conditioned approval. So I'm running towards those. Toxic achievement also... Looked like running away from the opposite of all those things for me so if i ever felt like i was unkind if i lost my temper uh if i did something that i thought was quote unquote unselfish or i don't know not very spiritual then i had this huge like hatred towards myself this huge aversion i couldn't be that way Um, i think the most triggering was if i ever felt like i was being a bad dad um, or even just the thought that i might do something that might make you look like a bad dad or uh, probably more honestly, if my kids would ever do anything that would make me feel like I was a bad dad, I had so much aversion to that. And so I'd criticize myself or my kids if they were doing something that would make me feel like I'm being a bad dad because then I have no approval of myself. That's why I say it's it's still toxic, even though these are highly altruistic things. But of course, you you know people would say you should want to be a good dad, David, and you should not want to be a bad dad. You should want to be a kind person and you should not want to be an unkind person. And I think for me, though, it's all about not having any shoulds in your life. Maybe it's cliche now in the personal development world to stop shoulding on yourself. But when we're stuck in a should, what it really means is that we're running. And the running comes from desperation, like a quiet desperation and a fear that I'm not good enough, that if I don't have these things, it's not going to work out. And that creates this inner desperation, which is a totally different place to live your life from, from feeling like I'm whole and I'm complete and I'm here right now. And I don't need me or anyone else to be any de- different than they are right now in this moment. And that doesn't mean that I don't change anything or that I don't do anything. It means that whatever I do, decide to do, comes from that acceptance of my present moment and what I'm experiencing right now. And so it isn't inaction, it's wise action. And it's not just a safe space you create for yourself. It's also a brave space that you get to live into and create for, other, for yourself and other people. So... Yeah, that's a little bit about toxic achievement and what it was like, what it what it what it was like and what it can be like for me when I'm in that space.
1: And I love how you mentioned the running aspect because I feel like a lot of our culture is like that hamster wheel or or they call it the rat race or whatever the case may be. But for anyone listening to really tune in and start noticing like when you're you feel like you're you're literally like craving and desiring something or when you feel like you're falling short, you're not good enough to really evaluate what definitions you have as far as the standard for success in your life or what you expect of yourself and others, that's a really great place to start to kind of tune in and to notice those kinds of paradigms that come up. That's a lot of it is as unconscious. And I definitely find within myself where I'll be really, really my inner critic can be very <laughs> severe when I'm falling short. And just being okay with the full range of what it means to be like you say, a wholehearted human. But just looking at yourself as a holistic multi-system being that we're not going to always show up on our hundred percent. What would you say, what are some ways that you navigate that inner critic?
0: Oh, I think the first one is to get that. It's not me, you know, and it's also not real and really kind of like, and also I, I tune into how I feel in my body. Cause usually when the, my inner critic is really loud, it usually means that I'm totally in my head. And so like, if I were to like take my hand and place it where I feel like I am during my inner critic, it'd be like, I'd place it on my head or the back of my head and I'd feel like pressure and pushing in my head. And so one of the ways to, I guess, kind of quote unquote deal with the inner critic is sometimes I'll move my hand back down to my heart and I'll tune into what voice is coming out of my chest. And oftentimes it's a calmer voice. Um, it's a voice that isn't so worried about things it's usually just like relax or you're okay and that there is another voice in our body that's not an inner critic that actually knows you that loves you that cares about you and you can tune into it and they have they have homes like the inner critic lives in your head and 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 your soul or your loving voice lives in your heart and i find actually physically putting my hand onto my chest well first onto my head so I get really clear what my inner critic is saying. Okay, this is a voice in my head. And I'm putting on my hand on my heart and saying, this is another voice in my heart. And I can tune into that. Um, I find it be really helpful for me um, when I'm unable to like go run or go swim or go physically move my body. But I find getting back into my body is the first way to quiet the inner critic and also to come into proper relation to the inner critic. Um Because I I don't want him to go away. I don't want my inner critic to to die or to leave or to disappear. But I want to come into a loving relationship with that inner critic. And so that uh, there's a great quote in uh, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And then the boy and his heart became friends. And neither could now betray the other. And I think that through a consistent practice of not trying to destroy our inner critic, but by coming back to our heart kind of being compassionate with it the way you'd be compassionate with like a, a mischievous child, you know, but being compassionate to it, we kind of learn how to come into a healthy proportionate relationship to that voice. And that voice also comes into a healthy proportionate relationship to us. Um, and so it's more quiet. It doesn't, and it's also not as critical. The voice does begin to shift. And I don't think it's because I've trained my inner critic to be an empowered voice. It's more that I'm, um, well, we love each other now, like we're good. We've worked, (laughs) we're good with each other, but it doesn't mean that that voice is like different. It's still a, you know, that inner critic is still coming from some damaged, wounded part of myself when I was like seven or when I was four. And I just, I'm on better terms with my seven year old self. We spent some time together, we've talked. Whereas I think in the past I was like, up at 4am every day, I'd go to the gym, I'd crush it, I'd go home, I literally declare my future out loud um by 6 a.m i was already like planning out my day so, and i was just like tony robbins the shit out of my life just like kind of make it happen and what that did to my inner critic was just basically pretend that he wasn't there or tell him to shut the hell up and uh it's like it's so it was so like ruthless i think that part of me and so now it's been more of a chance of uh taking space from it getting into my body so i have some space and some safety from my inner critic in my heart and then uh regularly over I think after a year just taking some time to so how are you four-year-old self seven-year-old critical person uh what's it like for you how are you feeling I know that you're not me but I hear you and then kind of beginning to build that relationship because that's also a part of me being whole it's like another part of me that's disassociated that's unintegrated that doesn't have its place yet in my in the system
1: Well, thank you so much for really going into that. For me, I've noticed a lot of my inner critic voices resembling things that I heard in my childhood or voices of people around me. And recently, I was around a lot of my family members and I heard them speaking in certain kinds of ways. And it was almost like seeing a lot of my paradigms being reflected in the physical around me. Mm. And I was like, wow, that is pretty wild. It helped me build that love for the inner critic or the inner paradigms that I've had within myself. Where I'm like, oh, I can kind of see where I absorbed this as a child. And when we love imperfect humans, because we're all imperfect, uh, and and see that outer reflection for me, it really helped me go a step further and recognizing. Because sometimes, like, I've talked to my inner critic and, like, recognizing those unhealed parts. But seeing that external reflection was, like, a huge piece for me. Mm -hmm. Have you in your and I liked how you mentioned kind of like the Tony Robbins um process because I think when I first got into personal development I was very much in that push energy where I was like I need to do this I need to be consistent every single day I'm going to like do affirmations for like 20 minutes in the morning and meditate and do this. And it was like very go, go, go. And I got very burnt out. And I noticed how for me that kind of merged with the toxic achievement because my new toxic achievement included a lot of these expectations that I was absorbing from a lot of different personal development sources that I was reading. So I'd be really curious if you could speak a little bit on kind of like push energy versus that pool energy hmm. and steps that you've taken to like what was that transition like going from how you were living before to how you're living now and and that transition process for you and for anyone that's listening now that might feel a little burnt out from being in that go 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 push energy how they can start making those steps themselves
0: Mm, gotcha that's a great question thanks for asking um man i mean i love tony robbins even to this day, I mean, he's like a hero. I think he saves lives. So I, I mean it with like the, the most love, but I, and um, yeah, I think when I was in a, a mode of personal growth, it was really like forcing growth um, and kind of just like this push, like get it done, crush it, make it happen, maximum action. And uh, so that's what I did. You know, I was up at 4 a.m. I would go to the gym get my heart rate up, I'd come home, get my goals, do my affirmations, make my plan, and I'd hit it. And I'd go the whole day and I just optimize my health. Um, I built a six-figure business. I mean, I was, I was doing this for a long time and I did not notice. I was going so hard, going so fast, and going so hot that I didn't notice the impact that it was having around me uh, or what it was the impact that it was having to me. Because honestly, life was going great. I mean, like when I work with a lot of high achievers, why would I stop? I'm crushing it. Why would I do anything different? And, um, and I think I, I also was constantly consuming self-help books and personal growth books. I was looking for the edge and how to fully optimize. So if any, I wanted to make it as airtight as possible so that, 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 that nothing would break. And, um, Gosh, I mean, I guess the long and short of it is that my marriage ended. It's kind of what happened. It's like there's a, a, a kind of a train wreck or eventually the whole machine just kind of stops. And um, I think to the credit of a lot of the personal growth work that I had started and started my journey on, since there's a goal of authenticity and also a goal of uh, optimization, the, the desire for authenticity kind of led me out of that forceful life or the pushful way of living to really be ruthless. I'm like, well, I really want to be, a, what is authentic? What, who am I really? What do I really want? And um, it just became very scary when it realized I don't want this, this whole system that I've built for myself, my life, my relationships, the way that I've de- designed it. It actually isn't what I want and it actually is unhealthy for me. And, uh, and now I'm really embarrassed, <laughs> kind of like that. Um, and I wouldn't really look to it so much as a push or a pull, but more like a linear, Versus a, a cyclical type of thing. So we talk about like a, and we talk about linear progress versus cyclical expansion. And it's kind of like running a race versus growing a tree. Um, and so in, in one area where you're linear growth only happens if you make it happen, you force it to happen um, versus in cyclical expansion it's not a line, it's a circle and growth happens naturally. You don't need to make growth happen. In fact, you're just removing any barriers to growth and growth happens naturally in its own way. Um, and when you're in linear progress, you're totally focused on the future and getting to the future and finding the the best moment to optimize and to, do, to make any tweaks and changes where if you're in a cyclical expansion. You're not so much focused on the future, you're totally here in the present moment and you're... You feel the sense of an authentic future now in the present moment, and you are of service to that in the present moment. Like you feel that something's unfolding right here, right now, and you're in service to it versus pursuing what my goal is or what I want in my life. But it feels like there's something, something's happening here. Something's unfolding. What wants to happen? And whatever is happening also has my best interest at heart. You become present to something more going on. And so I think the transition for me was, I mean, I, I did not go willingly. I mean, my life kind of train wrecked, my career kind of train wrecked, my business kind of train wrecked because I was so, I was going to optimize until there was nothing left to optimize. And so what ended up happening is you kind of, for me, I kind of reached the end of that and, um, I just was forced to reflect, uh, started meditating a lot, you know, like an hour, two hours a day, um, went into different types of healing modalities and therapy and, um, I spent a lot of time by myself um, and going for walks by myself and looking at like what's really happening subtly inside of myself and noticed that's when I noticed, Oh, wow, this is like just running, even at its most altruistic level, I'm still running and just started to ask myself, what would it look like if I wasn't running from anything or running to anything? And the scary thing, and I think most, what was scary to me at the end was like, well, if I stop running, I'm going to lose my edge. Like if I, if I leave this whole linear forceful pushing energy, I'm going to lose my edge. How am I ever going to be effective and get the same kind of results? Like I, I need this. Like I can't, can't just give it all up. But it, what I found was just like the opposite. It's almost like you can have more results um, with less effort. And also you're not so concerned about the results anyway. It's like your priorities start to shift, but at the same time, things happen magically. It's kind of like, um, gosh, it's like a, You you leave the whole paradigm, completely. It's like a. What is it? Is it Kyle Cease or who talks about it? Like the three worms, where there's one worm and he's going up a stick and he's confronted by a wall, and then you know the push the the pull the pull worm who's kind of more in a victim place or the one who's more like a level one consciousness we would say is like oh shoot there's a wall I'm a victim we're done here I give up this sucks. And then the other worm comes up to it and they're like this worm is like the level two pushing tony robbins worm he's like i'm going through this wall going around this wall i'm going under it i'm going i don't care what happens massive action this wall is going down like we're going through this we're going to blow right through this and then the i think level three worm or i guess caterpillar these are all caterpillars in this analogy is going up the stick meets the wall and really gets curious about the wall and like i think what's there for me to do is just to be with this wall." and let something happen. And as it lets something happen, the caterpillar goes into a cocoon and comes out of the butterfly and just flies away. And then later on the butterfly comes and meets the first two worms. And then they're like, what did you do about the wall? Like, how'd you get over the wall? And the butterfly who's been flying around the world looks at them both and says, what are you talking about? Like, what, what do you mean, what wall? And so I think a productivity and results and getting things done um you're just no longer in that rat race and so and your growth is no longer forced by you it's just happening and you're just allowing it to happen you really it it starts to feel like you're just it's another world that you live in and i think it's such a beautiful place to be but it's kind of incomprehensible just as incomprehensible as i'd say a level two personal growth go getter empowered point of view and world is foreign to a victimized disempowered belief system and so um i think there's yeah there's just a whole nother world beyond traditional personal growth that we're not that we're not informed of and we don't get to experience very much and it's just as it's like a completely different world so it's interesting how people can uh be on the same planet but have different worlds things i think so i think that's michael beckwith he says that people we all live in the same planet but live in different worlds so yeah
1: And the difference between the two, I noticed and just listening to you, I can just feel like my nervous system just be like, (laughs) ah, like (laughs) that relaxation from going in the push or the line. um, I feel like a lot of it resembles kind of the modernized technological world that we live in. And it's approaching growth like that versus every time you would speak, I just like imagine plants growing outside or trees growing and like how it's different for every tree, different for every plant. And you're never you know, seeing plants like, oh, like freaking out about like their growth, they just grow and they do their thing. Um, and it happens naturally and it, and it evolves in their own way. And I always look to plants because they, it helps me refocus that kind of monkey chatter mind that's like, oh, well, I should be here or this is happening. And then just be like, all right, look at that tree growing. just mm. growing and it's, it's moving at its own pace and just allow my own divine natural pacing that matches that rhythm of of nature to unfold in that way so i really loved that example with the butterfly and the caterpillar for those who feel like so if you could circle back a little bit on the levels of consciousness that so you talked about the level one being kind of the victim mindset to kind of the the push personal development and then third this other tier that you're mentioning. How would you, for for people who feel like they're bouncing between one and two, or maybe they don't really understand what it means to be in like that victim mindset, can you talk a little bit about that and and what you mean by that and how someone can kind of tune in to recognize where they are in their path?
0: Yeah. Well, the four levels of consciousness, I think it's originally called the four levels of spiritual development by Michael Beckwith. And we've kind of developed his model a bit more in, uh, in our work that we do. But level one is where life happens to you. Life is just happening to you. And you feel at the effect of life. And the key culture of level one is blame. Um, And it's blaming three things. You can blame yourself. uh, You can blame others or you can blame the system. And by system, that can be like blaming the world or blaming God or, you know, it's like whoever, when people say, it's just, it's just all messed up. It's just, it's not, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. It's the world's fault. It's just the system's fault. And so... Um, I think an important thing that we stress and wholehearted is that it's not that level one is bad. Um, And it's not that you need to get out of level one. It's more that we're wanting to be conscious wherever we are. And so it's not about what's, what's, uh, what's worse, level one or level two. It's like, no, 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 no. What doesn't work is to be at level one and to not be conscious of where you're at. And it's similar for level two. It doesn't work to be at level two and to not be conscious of where you're at. Because when you're not conscious, you become dangerous. And so uh, to be at a level one, like noticing, well, wow, I'm feeling like a victim. I'm definitely feeling at the effect of life. I feel a little hopeless. and I'm blaming everybody else and myself. And I know that I'm blaming everybody else and myself. And I don't just know it cognitively, but I have a embodied sense of what that feels like. I, this is what it feels like to blame in my chest and in my face. And I'm aware of that and I breathe presence into that and I give some compassion to myself. I understand the beliefs and the history that led me to be in this particular moment right now. Like, of course, I would be in level one in this moment with this situation at this relationship right now in this particular two minute span. And we bring that awareness and the felt sense and presence that it, it literally makes sense both cognitively and in our body. We understand why, why I'm here and what it's like. And then we accept that we're here in this moment and we love, and we kind of breathe some compassion into that level one. And we ask ourselves, am I, am I ready to shift? And sometimes the answer is no, like I'm actually not. I'd, I'd like to sit here and blame a little bit more if that's okay with you. <laughs> um, And that act of radical compassion and acceptance to yourself allows you to come back into wholeness at level one. You're now whole with yourself. You've come reunited with yourself and you're able to be fully present at your victim blaming state. (laughs) And what happens in that moment is you, you cease causing harm to others and you also cease causing harm to yourself. And what you used to think was a mistake now becomes your path. And the feeling of blame is what opens you to a new level of wisdom. And your level of consciousness naturally expands into level two. And the main culture of level two is different from level one where level one was blame. The main culture of level two is ownership and responsibility that I can now be responsible and fully own what I'm experiencing without blame for myself or others or the system. And that process can happen naturally and does happen naturally when we are fully conscious and love ourselves where we're at. And then we can ask the question, am I ready to shift? And then in, in your body, you'll feel, yes, I'm ready to shift. And you'll naturally find yourself taking responsibility, owning your experience and whatever there is to do from that new level of consciousness makes itself readily aware, available intuitively without having to I mean, some people kind of hear this modality and say, okay, cool. I got to analyze when I'm at level one. And then I'm going to think about what's the trick or tip that I need to implement now to get myself out of here. But that's speaking to a disembodied self, as if you could work on yourself like a doctor versus coming into more intimacy with yourself and dealing with that first circle of intimacy, which is between you and you. And then once that bond, that intimacy is created, just like a tree, you're now here and you're planted. So your consciousness is going to rise by itself, naturally, and you will find maybe perhaps that the greatest lesson or path for you came from the insight behind your blame you know, or the insight behind the victim and disempowered thought. And so level ones are super valuable level of consciousness. It's not like that's not the underdog or the bad guy. That's usually where some of our deepest lessons come from. <clears throat>
1: Absolutely. And back to the spiral too, we can move through each of these levels, even within a five minute time span, one minute time span. And that's, there's, there's fluidity in that. And that's another aspect where, again, I used to look at those levels as like disconnected boxes that I would just like hop in and out of rather than just seeing it as a fluid stream of consciousness, a river that's ever changing, ever flowing and that our stream of consciousness and all of the internal messages, as well as the external too, um, are, are constantly evolving and changing. And in that can also can bring up like a lot of grief within ourselves
0: mm-hmm. as we
1: shed those layers of ourselves. It's interesting how this process of expanding and evolving can also bring up the grief and shedding things that are no longer serving us. What are the some of the the tips and tools that you've used as you've navigated your own expansiveness and as you've worked on connecting with yourself and becoming wholehearted.
0: Mm. I, mean, I think one of the tools is, is trusting, we say trusting the process, but I think sometimes that just makes people frustrated or angry. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think more it's uh, trusting that the process that you're in is intelligent, even trauma, you know, or what you're experiencing in your body, that that is an intelligent response that's dev- evolved over eons in order for us to be able to survive. And so if we're in remorse or we're in sadness or we're in that, that's um, it's not that this is our fault, but rather um, the process that we're in itself is intelligent and that we are in process and that you can tune into that process. Um and so particularly for sadness i mean sadness is one of the most healthy healing emotions authentic sadness um because it's like a warm cutting you know sensation it allows us to really let go it is the emotion of of uh, in a very bodily way letting go of that which no longer serves us i mean i used to think my dad was invulnerable infallible and never made a mistake and was always like a superhero growing up and Uh, I was so sad when I realized my dad is not always infallible and not always doesn't always have the right answer that he sometimes might get scared. It was so like sad for me. And the sadness is really a sense of loss. It means like I'm losing and letting go of the idea of my dad because the holding to that idea no longer serves me because it, it keeps me away from being with my dad as he is now. And so it's almost like I, I am unable to let that pass so I can be with the new moment and then that new moment will also be something that I let go of and I'm constantly renewing that and so if I can't be authentically sad I can't authentically be present and so oftentimes I'm sad just because I'm letting go of ideas of who I thought I was and um, and it doesn't mean like oh I'm never going to be that again or if I'm letting go of the idea that I'm I'm always totally efficient. Or if I was late to a meeting, I'm letting go of the idea that I'm always on time or that I always impress people. And like the little moment of sadness is a, is a feeling of like letting that go. And then as I'm letting it go, I kind of lovingly say like goodbye to it. Give it a little bit of a, like a eulogy. Like it served me well when it was, it's when in it's time and it's time is passing. We're just going to send it off. And then ask myself, now I wonder what's going to fill the space. I wonder what's new that's coming. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that's specific to the question, but that's, that's what showed up to speak to.
1: And with that experience that you've gone through as you've changed with how you see your father and what is and in your childhood, how has that influenced your parenting and your relationship with your kids? And do you ever feel with all of this work and all the consciousness aspect, um, going into parenting, how do you navigate that? Because I, I definitely get messages from a lot of parents talking about how they feel a little bit overwhelmed by where they start worrying that they're, you know, messing their kids up or they're not being conscious enough. And with all of that, how do, how do you navigate that? And what would you, what advice would you give to those parents?
0: Oh, I think a lot of it's really love yourself first you know, be compassionate to yourself first, because I, I found that if I I just don't have any to give to my kids when I, when I when I don't have any for myself, so I think it's really taking the time to be accepting and loving and kind to myself. Um, otherwise, I will always my kids will always be, I um, will trying to get my own approval from them because I can't give it to myself. I can't give my own love to myself. So I think first is like love yourself first. Kind of put your own oxygen mask on first take take really take care of yourself and and, you know, really prioritize that. Um, yeah, I think that would be the first thing that comes up for myself. Um, the book that really helped me a lot was real love by Greg bear, real love and parenting, um, was, was excellent for me. and helped me realize and see just how unloving I am and to love myself, to love my unloving self. Um, And so I I can like really love without condition, I think with my kids um, was very helpful. And the other part was like just around trauma. Like I don't want to mess up my kids and I don't want to traumatize them. And I don't want to give these all these negative beliefs. Like, oh my gosh, I just like, I got really angry and upset and I totally lost it just now Did I just traumatize my kids. Like, is this bad? Oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person. And you just kind of internally melt down. And I'm realizing for me, it's not so much about avoiding damaging your children, like, you know, mentally or emotionally. Um, of course that's obviously important and something that we want to focus on and spend time and energy on. Um, however, I've noticed what's much more important is for parenting is just modeling and love and modeling, not running from trauma or avoiding trauma or avoiding pain, but modeling self-regulation within myself and co-regulation with my kids. So if I do get angry or if I get upset and I say something that I regret and I see they're afraid. I practice helping their body regulate. So sometimes I see my son get really nervous or something about a test and he'll talk about this and talk about that and talk about that. And I'll ask different questions. What do I do? Oftentimes I'm just listening and I put my hand and I press, I press my hand to his chest. And oh, my son's nine. So I don't know how this, this might You can take it for whatever age or even my, my four-year-old, I'll do this too. Well, I'll press my palm to his chest and my other palm to his back. And, re- and I will breathe with him and I don't tell him. I don't like explain to him what I'm doing. I just kind of walk over and I do it while he's talking. And it's like my nervous system is teaching his nervous system how to regulate. It's called co-regulation. And so, he's learning the skill of regulating himself. And that process of being able to regulate yourself after a challenging or an overwhelming or a traumatic moment is the skill that I want him to learn, and want her to learn because it's it's important that. Uh, that's what's going to make the difference. It's not that he avoided trauma his whole life and he did great. It's more that uh, he experienced trauma and it lasted for three minutes as he co-regulated and brought himself back to wholeness, you know, or he experienced fear or anxiety or overwhelm and he's learning how to bring himself back into wholeness. And so it's like a modeling that for myself. um, Like, (laughs) like the story I like to bring is like, I think I was what, I think I was at an olive garden or something like that. And my son was, uh, eating his food with his hands and, you know, every family has their own culture. And the one that I'm conditioned to grow up in is like, that's not okay. So I just felt somewhat like my chest got hot and tense and my shoulders got tense and I got upset. I was so mad. And so in this, in that moment, I just kind of noticed, well, first of all, number one, I was getting ready to like shame my son publicly and kind of teach him some social etiquette which was really actually just wanting him to make me feel a little better so like for my own convenience because if i really wanted to teach him something about social etiquette it wouldn't have been in a time when i'm super angry right at the moment and it would have been it would have been done differently so kind of just recognizing this is about me and i wanting him to change and then just noticing that and then noticing how conditional that is noticing how unloving that is and that's how not the parent i want to be and then the shame i lay on i put on top of myself for even having those thoughts this is all happening, like, you know, within the space of 30 seconds or a minute, and then just kind of breathing and calming down and co-regulating myself and relaxing and self-soothing. And I just continued the conversation um, with the other adults at the table and felt better and felt more relaxed and uh, just looked at my son and, and I really got present, like, wow, he's having a really, really good time. And then later on, we got back in the evening and I said, it looks like you had a great time eating. Thank you so much. And was able to talk about, you know, when we have, when we eat with our hands, when we eat with the fork. And it was like a great lively discussion where I was fully present with him. But if I had done that conversation when I was at the restaurant, there would have been so much other things behind that conversation that had nothing to do with the actual conversation and would have been more really about me. So I think it's just that practice of, really developing a practice of learning how to help soothe our nervous system and go back into our parasympathetic nervous system. And then to be able to do that with our, with our kids. And honestly, for me at the beginning, a lot of it was just taking care of myself <laughs> because realizing I'm actually not competent and capable. I'm, I'm just, I'm triggered. I'm stressed. I'm, so I'm not able to parent in a, in a healthy way right now. And so I'm going to kind of like take a hit right now. Like the, the clothes aren't going to get washed. The table's not going to get cleaned. That shatter plate's not going to get picked up immediately, and I'm going to go take thirty minutes to kind of like practice. And but over time, it's really shown; it's really kind of blossomed. Where um, it's almost like there's a muscle of unconditional love for myself that I'm now able to begin to extend to him. And this is like a three-year you know process. It's only like in three years I've really been investing in that. And uh, yeah. Oh,
1: thank you so much for sharing. When you think about the, the micro and the macro, because I know I, one, some of your passions also revolve around the collective, around healing trauma in communities. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on that and how we can continue as we work on ourselves to also bring that work down into our communities as we cultivate and build a healthier, more wholehearted world.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, mean, I really think that the work that we're doing in our own personal lives is foundational and is the broader work of the community. And then just to kind of get involved with things that are going on, find out what's happening. Um, when it comes to collective healing, I love the work of Thomas Hubel um, or Hebel as uh, a German fellow. And the idea that we are all born in the aftermath of collective trauma. You know, our societies are traumatized societies. We've, we've experienced so much as a species, as a humanity, as nations, as cultures, both self-inflicted and inflicted on one another and then a form of different natural disasters. And so we're born in the aftermath of a traumatized society, whatever society you grew up in. And then we have the society has uh, or the people in the society have ways of numbing ourselves to that trauma like disassociating from it or pretending it did not happen or over obsessive addictions like in america we uh, are workaholics as a way to deal with facing the impact of our how we have been as a country and who we are we're like we're kind of compensating uh for our experience of deep culture trauma and these behaviors and ways of coping and numbing ourselves solidify into social norms and common practices among strangers and neighbors within community and these social norms become further solidified into laws and social systems, so that we've. We have a hardened system of preventing ourselves from feeling the effects of trauma and also the buried feelings underneath that trauma and so. Um, as we're going through our own process of healing, we'll notice that those we are, we are, I am a part and participant in those collective traumas. So my own healing will necessarily be a part of that too. Like I will feel the, when I'm in, when I'm in the States, I feel the need to work and to compensate and to over produce. And I can recognize that as, oh, this is something I learned and inherited in the society to deal with, um, the trauma that our country is kind of born into the trauma of world war ii trauma of racism the all these things that we have disassociated desensitized ourselves to like i have these things exist so that i cannot so that i can stop feeling and all i can do to, the way to begin to heal it is to start feeling again in a safe container to have those feelings so Uh, If people are interested in learning more about that, I I think uh, they can check out the um, collective trauma integration processes from Thomas Hubel, or um, the Pocket Project is great work that he does.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's just beautifully articulated. As far as for what we haven't talked about so far, we're getting at the top of the hour here, but are there any additional messages or anything you'd love to share from your heart? That we haven't covered so far i know we could talk for three days <laughs> <laughs> uh, but is there anything else that you would really love to share to our listeners today oh, gosh. i think
0: just where, where that wherever you're at right now is where you're meant to be um, and that it's a part of an intelligent process you know and so that uh, yeah to really get that, that that wherever you are is a part of an intelligent process for you and for your life and that it's okay it's okay to be in that place um yeah and then uh drink tea <laughs> drink water, drink water <laughs> stay hydrated and uh oh actually need yeah, a, a, a late late that's the tip i've been normally giving to people if they're wondering what's something i can just do this kind of quick and if you just uh if you haven't in a while take your shoes off and go stand on the grass with your bare feet um, just to just to shake things up there's a lot to that but i think just yeah take your shoes off and go outside and stand with your your bare feet on the ground or go for a walk in your bare feet um, there's a was it 26 26 bones or yeah 33 bones 26 bones 33 ligaments over 100 ligaments and tendons and 200 thousand nerve receptors in your feet and uh it does something to receive all that different sensory information so yeah just take your shoes off and go outside uh for like 10 minutes uh in the grass that's something i would that's something on my heart (laughs) to (laughs) say
1: absolutely it's a great grounding practice i highly recommend doing that as well and i will definitely include all of your information in the show notes where people can find you but as far as social media where can people follow you which platforms do you like to use the most do you have any preferences for how people can connect with you
0: Mm, Gotcha. Well, uh, we post a meditation, a new guided meditation every week on beingwholehearted.com. So people can follow us there and subscribe to our live meditations that we do. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram as David J. Young. So those are the best ways to follow me.
1: Beautiful. Thank you again so much for your time and your energy, our two most precious assets. That are non-refundable so i don't take that don't take that lightly thank you so much for coming on today on the reach new heights podcast
0: thanks i really enjoyed it thanks julie
1: from my heart to yours thank you so much for tuning into today's episode i hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as i love creating it as always you can connect with me on instagram at jul householder or my website JulieHouseholder.com. I love hearing how you've integrated these episodes into your life. And if you feel called, please leave a review on iTunes so we can help others reach new heights.